Today on Blue 58, we know the Packers' special teams have been anything but special over the last few years. But there's a new sheriff in town this season. What is Sean Menenga going to have to do to turn things around? Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here once again. We'd like to talk a little bit about special teams in this episode, but first I wanted to bring up a great comment that we got on our Patreon feed this week. Gary and I released our monthly check-in chat late last week for the month of June. If you're a patron, check it out. If you're not involved with what we're doing on Patreon, a dollar a month gets you access to each and every one of the shows that we put up in addition to any other bonus content we put out. So check that out. We're going to put a little sample of this month's show towards the end of this podcast. But on that most recent episode, Jacob, one of our patrons, thank you, Jacob, wrote this, quote, appreciated the comment regarding the different styles between Mike McCarthy's offensive scheme and LaFleur's offensive scheme for getting receivers open. I'm excited about the potential to watch a more effortless offense in the coming season, end quote. The last part of Jacob's comment there really jumps out to me, describing an effortless offense this season. I think that is really the goal of football to make things as effortless as possible. And that's a big contrast to, like Jacob said, what Mike McCarthy was doing. If you look back on the Mike McCarthy years, especially the the latter era Mike McCarthy Packers teams, he ran a very simple offense. Not always bad, and probably some of the criticism of Mike McCarthy was a little bit overblown. Uh, He did some more interesting stuff down the stretch than he probably got credit for. But broadly speaking, I think calling it simple is not necessarily inaccurate. It relied, therefore, on execution, doing everything perfect the right way, beating the man across from you, and relying on every player on the team to beat the man across from them on every play. That's fine, but that takes a lot of effort. That's a lot of work. Contrast to what that to what we know about Matt LaFleur and, by extension, these more modern offensive systems, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, pretty much anybody coming into, um, into a position of power on offense over the past couple of years. It's all about putting yourself and your team and your players in position to make things easier for yourself. That just makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? This idea of trying to out-execute the other team really dates back to the early days of football, and it's kind of how football has always been. Vince Lombardi, to use a Green Bay example, was almost religiously driven towards execution, perfection, doing things the right way, running a limited amount of plays, but doing them perfectly every single time. He was going to out-execute the other team. He was going to be in better shape. He was, of course, schematically and tactically brilliant, but... It was mostly about just out-executing people, being perfect. In a way, he was really making professional football players in a league where everybody was just kind of almost semi-professional. He was almost the first true professional football coach in the way that he treated people and the, the expectations he had for them. He wanted to be about football all the time. And at least in Green Bay, that hadn't been the case. But you can't just out-execute people anymore. The game has grown too much. And where we are in 2019 is 
requiring a modern offensive approach, putting your players in the best position to out-execute them, not just relying on execution of the basics, executing a scheme that is designed to make things easy for them. That's where we are in 2019, and that's what we're hoping to get from Matt LaFleur. There's nothing inherently wrong with Mike McCarthy's approach, if your scheme is up to date, but trying to out-execute people is not bad. But it's harder. And relying on a good scheme to get you in a position to make things easier is going to be great. And making things easier for yourself is good. Those were just some thoughts sparked by that comment. Check out the Patreon show and listen to a little bit here at the end of this podcast. Got an interesting comment from uh, my good friend Ricard over in Sweden over the weekend. I'm going to paraphrase it and kind of turn it into a question because I think it's a topic worth discussing. He says, more or less, it seems like the Packers special teams have stunk since Micah Hyde left. What do they need to do to improve and how can they do it? It's a fair question uh, because the Packers have not been good on special teams even when Micah Hyde was around. So he leaves after the 2016 season. There was not, it wasn't a great run for the Packers for quite some time. The Dallas Morning News and Rick Gosselin, I guess the reporter who does it, um, are kind of the the premier authority on who's doing well on special teams. Their special teams rankings are kind of the industry, industry standard. And the Packers, dating back to 2012, have only finished in the top half of the league in those rankings one time. In 2018, they ranked 32nd, dead last. 2017, they were 16th, 16, 29th. The year before, 17th, 32nd, 20th. And all the way back to 2012, they were 12th. It's not much better if you turn to the advanced numbers either. Just for one, let's look at Football Outsiders DVOA for special teams. Again, the Packers ranking in the top half of the league exactly once. This time it's 2017, but counting back again to 2012, it goes something like this. 28th, 14th, 21st, 17th, 22nd, 19th, and 18th. Suffice it to say, now that we've powered through that fascinating bit of podcasting, just reading numbers into a microphone, suffice it to say, it hasn't been good. First it was Sean Slocum, then it was Ron Zook. It doesn't matter who the coordinator's been, it just hasn't been very good in Green Bay. So how does it get better? Well, first I think you have to set some expectations for special teams. There are three phases to the NFL game. Offense, defense, and special teams. It's football, even like, that's like the introductory packet. That's not even football 101. That's like the syllabus you get on the way into class. But I think for each of those three options, you've got, or three phases, excuse me, you've got two options. That phase is either going to win the game for you or help contribute towards winning the game, or it's going to be something that loses it for you. Either one, or these units are either going to be actively winning you games or actively losing you, game, losing you games. And as you build your team, you're probably going to pick one or two of those units and try to build them into the ones that are, go, that are going to win the games for you. In Green Bay, that unit has been offense. The Packers have been an offensively structured team for a long, long time now, even dating back to 2009 and 2010 when their defenses were really good. It was an offensive team. There are teams around the league that are built around defense. That's what they're relying on them to win the game. And they're basically relying on the other two phases to not lose it for them. 
I'm not sure you can ever get to the point with special teams where it's actively helping you win the game to the extent that those other units are. But you can, as you're trying to build a team, decide that special teams isn't going to be what's losing you games. I think there is a general attitude, and I could be wrong about this, but this is just looking around the league and looking at how most teams seem to treat special teams. There seems to be an attitude that those plays just kind of don't matter as much as the other plays. And I think that's that's a problem. Because there's going to be, what, how many special teams plays a game? Both ways? 15, 20, 25 plays a game? When you count kickoffs? When you count punts? When you count field goal attempts? When you count point afters? That's a lot of plays. And if you're just conceding those plays to the other team or hoping that your team doesn't screw up on those plays, you're not really focusing on it, that's a big chunk of the game that you're just leaving out there. The greatest coach of this era, Bill Belichick, really sweats the stuff that happens on special teams. And he makes sure that his teams don't lose because of stuff that happens on special teams. So the goal for special teams may be to not lose it for you, but also to execute on the basics when needed. So stuff like field goals, stuff like not allowing touchdowns and big returns, and stuff like not racking up stupid penalties. Those are messing up those three things are three areas that can really turn your special teams from a a just neutral phase to something that's negative in a huge way. Really quickly, think about the momentum shift that happens when you give up a, a kick return for a touchdown or a punt, a big long punt return or something like that. Those can change the complexion of an entire game. I'm not sure how often you can scheme for those sort of things to generate for generate them for yourself, but you can, it seems like to me, try to prevent the other team from doing that. In my evaluation of special teams, I'm not look, re- including your return game. So the Packers punt returners and kick returners in this, because I'm not sure how big of a part of that of the game those returns even are anymore. And even if they're not a big part, how much of an identity can you really build around them? What can you really do to make those part of what you try to be good at on special teams? I think just with the of the struggles the Packers had last year of getting a punt returner out there who they could reasonably put out there from the standpoint of he's capable of catching the ball in traffic and not bobbling the ball when there's guys with bad intentions running down the field at full speed toward him who is just going to catch the ball, period, at any point. I mean, uh, Brandon Bostick was on the hands team and he couldn't even really catch. Sorry to invoke that memory, but we are talking about special teams here. And who, if they do get hurt on a special teams play, aren't going to sink your your whole offense or defense. I mean, the Packers tried, ideally they would have had Trevor Davis back there last year, but they had Tremont Williams back there for a bulk of the season. That was a risky proposition because of the other positions he played on defense. They tried Jair Alexander back there. That was a big problem because if he gets hurt doing special team stuff, there's suddenly an even bigger hole on your defense. And from there, you're out of guys that even can capably do it. That's a problem. And it's there are just so many variables there. It seems like it's a hard thing to build around. And you can't just keep the punt return specialists anymore because that's an entire roster spot devoted to a guy who just does one thing. Although maybe if this is such an important part of the game, that's not such a bad idea either. If you've got a punt returner 
who can also be like a punt gunner or a kickoff gunner or something like that, maybe that's worth a roster spot instead of keeping like a ninth offensive lineman or something like that. I don't know. For the purposes of our exercises, though, we're going to talk about things like field goals, uh, things like preventing big returns and avoiding penalties. So let's look at those three things here. First, before we look at the future, let's look at the past. How did the Packers do on those three areas when it came to not losing games for their team in 2018? Well, field goals. Let's start there. Mason Crosby was 30 of 37 on the year. That's better than it seemed. And in fact, after that Detroit game, he was not super terrible down the stretch. But on the whole, it wasn't great last year. And it really hasn't been super great for a couple years. Some of that's out of his control, especially in 2017. But in 2018, he had a holder that he worked with the entire year. He had a long snapper he worked with the entire year. They may not have been perfect, but they were there together and they had 37 attempts. Would have been 38, except they had a, a weird mishap against uh, against Washington there early in the season that ended up, uh, well, it ended with J.K. Scott throwing a pass to Mason Crosby, and that ended about as well as you could expect. Among players who attempted at least 20 field goal attempts last year, Mason Crosby ranked 21st out of 29 players. That's not great. Even if most of that did come in one game, that's not that's not a good season. You bump that up to 30-plus players who attempted at least 30 field goals. He was 12th out of 14th and uh, out of 14 in, in terms of accuracy. Bump it up to 35. You only have six guys who, who, who attempted that many field goals. And again, he's just not, not coming through. He was four out of six there. It just hasn't been a, a, a good run here for Mason Crosby. He's just not executing. The Packers were also terrible in terms of surrendering punt returns last year, punt and kick returns in, in in a, as a matter of fact, the Packers were one of only five teams in the NFL last year to allow a kickoff return TD. They're an increasingly rare play, but the Packers were one of five who, who let it happen. On average, they gave up just over 25 and a half yards per kickoff return. That's fifth worst in the league. Even with the new touchback rules, it still made more sense when you were playing the Packers to return every kickoff. You were on average, going to come out ahead. Even if it's only by half a yard, you're still coming out ahead. Both of these numbers courtesy of the football database. Only place I could really find that really had easy numbers on on kick return stats. Also, per the football database, uh, the Packers were not great on punt return either. Either They gave up 10.3 yards per punt return last year. That was sixth worst in the NFL. But the worst of these three phases, field goals, returns, and penalties, was the penalties. The Packers had 26 special teams penalties in 2018. That was the second most in the league. And Pittsburgh, who was the worst, had only 27. Only one more penalty than the Packers. But wait, it gets worse than that. We only have to look at one penalty for the story to get worse. So much worse. The Packers were flagged five times in 2018 alone for being offside on a kickoff. Do you know how hard it is in 2018 to be offside on a kickoff attempt? These kicks start without movement. There's no running start on kickoffs before. If you are offside on a kickoff, it's because you're too dumb to stand in the right spot and your coach didn't correct you from the sideline. This is the easiest penalty in the world to fix. And that the Packers couldn't get out of their own way here is just a screaming enormous red flag. The next closest team in the NFL last year only had two penalties for being offside on a kickoff. Only two. 
the Packers had two and a half times as many as the next closest team. This penalty was only called 13 times league-wide in 2018, and the Packers got it five times. The Packers should rehire Ron Zook so they can fire him again just for that. It is inconceivably bad. I know I didn't. I said I didn't want to talk about punting a whole lot, and I, I really don't, but I feel like we should mention it just in passing here. There's a lot of variables that go into punting stats, but I think we should throw the numbers out there just so you can make your own conclusions. J.K. Scott did not have a super great rookie year. Uh, he ranked 27 of 37 punters in the league in net yards per punt with 38.8. Last year, Justin Vogel was ninth out of 37 with 41.3. 27 of his 38 punts, or he ranked 27 of 38 punters in uh, punts down inside the 20 with 19. Vogel wasn't much better. He ranked 29th at a 36th. Scott led the league in touchbacks this year with nine, although not all of that is up to him. That has some stuff to do with coverage. If only four of those touchbacks had turned into punts down inside the 20, He'd have been all the way up to near the middle of the league in punts down inside the 20. Up to 18th if he went from just 19 to 23. Got four of those back if something had just broken a little bit different. A a half a roll or something like that with how the ball got into the end zone. Uh, Scott wasn't entirely bad. He was second in the league in punts fair caught, which is pretty good. Um, Vogel was fifth last year. He was just 26th of 37 punters in the league and punts returned with 20. He only allowed 20 returns last year. Uh, Vogel had 29 punts returned last year. Take all that information for what you will. It was kind of an inconsistent year. Some of it was out of his control. And the Packers haven't really made any overtures towards replacing him right now. That could change. So the bigger question here, how do you fix all this stuff? Well, I think you start with the penalties, and Sean Menenga seems to have that part locked down. He said in his introductory press conference, quote, we're going to beat them over the head with what the rules are, end quote. Instant improvement there. Hopefully everybody knows the rules going forward. The coverage issue, that's the second biggest one here, other than Mason Crosby just kicking more consistently, is harder to solve, I think, unless you are a high-level special teams coach, which I am not. I don't know a straightforward solution here, but I do know it wouldn't hurt to have your best cover people available. Trevor Davis was among the leaders in special teams tackles in 2017, but he only played two games in 2018. Having him around or having a guy like him around for all 16 games would be a big plus. Just consistency in general on special teams would be a plus. Health overall will help with that. If the Packers can stay healthier, I bet their special teams improves a little bit too. And returners. Returners are the ultimate don't lose this, lose this for us kind of position as far as special teams go for reasons that we explained earlier. Just look at punt return. You've got some issues there. If the Packers can't figure out a guy who can consistently do it for them, I don't see their punt return game improving a whole lot in 2019. The bigger question here is who is the guy fixing all this? We spent a little bit of time when he was hired talking about Sean Menenga, so let's review some of that here. He spent 2018 coaching at Vanderbilt. Prior to that, he spent 2011 through 2017 coaching with the Cleveland Browns as a special teams assistant. He had a bunch of college jobs before that. What's important to know about Sean Menenga is he's from the Dave Taub School of Special Teams. Taub works for the Kansas City Chiefs. 
He is widely considered one of, if not the preeminent special teams coach in the NFL. And the guy who Sean Menenga worked under in Cleveland, Chris Tabor, worked under Dave Taub in Chicago. What makes Taub so good? Well, he's, if you look up anything about him, uh, everyone raves about just his ability to, con- to connect with people, to um, come up with unique solutions to problems. It's tough to figure out exactly what those solutions are because you haven't really, I haven't really seen anybody who's done a deep authoritative dive on what exactly Dave Taub does with his scheming, but he, he does seem like a creative special teams coach. The one thing that you can find people talking about with Dave Taub is one play in particular. And you will remember this play because it was infuriating to watch on TV while also being really, really cool. In 2011, the Packers played the Chicago Bears in Chicago. This was during uh, Devin Hester's late sort of heyday period. And the Chicago Bears came up with the greatest punt return trick play I think I've ever seen. They studied the Packers' tendencies as far as punting. They knew that with a, within a certain down and distance or certain field position, they liked to punt a, a certain way. And they managed to fake a return with Devin Hester while having Johnny Knox run to the other side of the field, field the punt with nobody around, and stroll down the field with one blocker and the Packers punter in front of him and waltz in for a touchdown. It got called back because of kind of a phantom holding call, but it was just an incredible fake. Aaron Rodgers said at the time it was the most incredible play he had ever seen in seven years. Greg Jennings said it was the best play he had ever seen. Quote, that was not a fluke. That was not by luck. That was by design. End quote. And Dave Taub is the guy who came up with it. Sean Menenga is on his coaching tree. So if you figure you got to go to one of the best to get this figured out, Dave Taub is in the school that is pretty widely considered to be one of the best. It seems like the Packers are in better special teams hands than they've been in a while. And just having a special teams unit that isn't actively making the Packers worse would be a huge improvement in 2019. They can't get any worse than they were last year because they ranked at the very bottom of the league. It seems like they can only go up from here. That's all I've got for you on this episode, but don't turn off your podcast app yet. I'm going to play you part of our Patreon monthly check-in chat. Gary and I talked about the six players this year that have the most on the line in 2019. I'll play you a section of that here, and then we'll just let the podcast end there. So um, you know the spiel I give at the end of every show. Check us out on Patreon. Check us out on social media. Reach out if you've got any questions or thoughts or stuff you'd like us to talk about. I'll turn it over to these two esteemed hosts, myself and Gary, and just kind of let them talk it out from here. And then we'll have some music at the end, and the show will be over. But uh, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back later this week for another episode of Blue 58. Thanks for listening. Cue the music that introduces the other show that we do. Hello and welcome, listeners, to another edition of the Power Sweeps Patreon show. That's the title we're going with for this episode, the June check-in for what's going on with the Packers. I'm your host, John Meerdink of thepowersweep.com, joined by my partner in crime, Gary Zillavy. How are we doing today? Doing great, John. Good to be with you. Is it indeed a great day to be great? I don't know. I think I'm going to mix it up today. It's just, it's just fine. I'm fine. 
Well, it's hard to be anything other than fine in June because there's just not a lot going on. We kind of are in that tipping point where you start to have to look forward to the season ahead instead of looking to the season behind because it, the off season is is done essentially. Uh, we're through minicamp, we're through free agency, we're through the draft. The team that we've got is the team that we're going to have through most of 2019 other than some low-end roster churn. But what I'd like to do as we look ahead to the season is look at a few individual players that have a lot going on this year. Because football is kind of unique in that it's a it's a team sport, obviously, but it's also made up of a lot of individuals. And each of these individuals, I think, has a lot going on with their own careers as they head into 2019. So these are the, how many do we have? Six players that we think have the most on the line in 2019 and I want to start with a with the big one right up top the big man himself Aaron Rodgers and for most of his career it, it or at least the the latter part of his career here it hasn't seemed like there has been all that much on the line for Rodgers from 2009 through 2014 he won two MVPs had a 15 and 1 season won a Super Bowl won a Super Bowl MVP he proved pretty much everything you can prove as a as a starting quarterback but since then it's been a bit of a rough go and he's heading into kind of unquestionably the latter portion of his career Gary what do you think is on the line for Rodgers in 2019 you know John I I think his legacy is secured so if we're talking about you know what people are going to say about Aaron Rodgers when his career is over I think you know it's pretty secure that you know, one of the all-time greats, right up there with Favre and Starr, as far as Packer quarterbacks are concerned. But this is the part of his career where we learn how much of his success and personal, I guess, greatness is attributed to him as a quarterback versus his relationship with Mike McCarthy and their uh, collaborative environment. Now, it, right now, it's really hard to say uh, that McCarthy and Rodgers were, you know, the reason that they were successful because I think everybody's in a, in a uh, McCarthy's the worst mood right now. But if he does struggle with LaFleur and if LaFleur's replaced and they, you know, Rodgers is really never back to that 2014 self of his, I think it's pretty fair to say that Rodgers will be remembered as a quarterback that was, you know, kind of tied at the hip with McCarthy. That's not a bad thing. I think Steve Young is as much the same with you know, uh, with, with, with his years in San Francisco, but, uh, his, his legacy as far as a transcendent quarterback, I think is on the line here. I think I am with you there on the legacy question, but I want to take it in slightly different, uh, in a slightly different direction. I think, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this because I think as a player, uh, as a person, uh, as he's perceived in Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers always is going to exist at least a little bit in opposition to Brett Favre because he was Favre's successor. Uh, he plays markedly different than Favre. And now he's entering the portion of his career where Brett Favre was in full-on waffle mode. Will he retire? Will he not? How will he handle the conclusion of his tenure in Green Bay? Those are all things that kind of defined the latter portion of Favre's career. So I think what's on the line for Rodgers is kind of as we enter the beginning of the end for him, however long that end might be, we've, we've got to look at how he handles aging as a quarterback and the ultimate end of his career 
as opposed to how Brett Favre handled it, because I don't think Favre could have handled it much worse as far as the ultimate ending to his time in both Green Bay and the NFL. Uh, I don't know if you recall the fake Wrangler Nike commercial that came out. It would have been like 2008 or so. Oh, yeah. It was it was a parody of the LeBron James What Should I Do commercial. But that brought up a whole bunch of stuff about Favre that was pretty ugly about the end of his career. Uh, the exit from Green Bay, the whole Jen Sturger incident in, in New York, which was, I, I think if that happened in 2019, it wouldn't have been just uh, just a minor scandal. It would have been like, we need to cancel everything about Brett Favre that's ever happened. And then his, his move to Minnesota and the ultimate end there. Rogers is very conscious, I think, of how Favre handled the exit there, and I think he wants to avoid being perceived the same way. What do you think of that? See, John, I'd, I'd go a different way on that. I, I think Rogers saw Favre get what he wanted at the end of his career. And and I get the sense that there is, uh, you know, I think what NFL players always want to be NBA players, right? Because NBA players have all this power, Anthony Davis can just say halfway through a year, yeah, I'm done. I don't want to play for the Pelicans anymore. Send me to the Lakers. And within six months, there he is on the Lakers. And to some degree, I wonder if Rodgers is going to take that, you know, at some point, whenever the Packers decide to bring in the next Aaron Rodgers, uh, or that, you know, they draft a quarterback high or they, they decide that they're going to, you know, maybe – Deshaun Kaiser blows up in pre in in preseason this year. You wonder if Rodgers is going to say, "I want to go somewhere else," and it worked for Favre. Yes, it was rocky. It wasn't great, but he had a really really good year with the Minnesota Vikings, where he was a typical Brett Favre inter- interception away from a Super Bowl appearance. I, I could see Rodgers doing that. He has a chip on his shoulder. You know, with the with the whole McCarthy departure, there was all that talk about him uh, still holding it over McCarthy that he didn't pick him uh, in the draft, and he picked Alex Smith. I don't know whether that's you know whether that was true or not, but I, I think Rogers has a long memory, and uh, he could force his way out. Mm-hmm. 